One theologian commented that there are 135 prophecies in the 11th chapter of Daniel alone. And that all of those prophecies can be verified as literally fulfilled, corroborated by the study of history of this time. The logical conclusion to reach about the book of Daniel is that there must be a God in heaven who revealed these matters since no human being could possibly have been able to predict all of these world events. Furthermore, these fulfilled prophecies give us every reason to believe that what God shows us about the events yet future to us as well as to Daniel back then, that all of these events will also come to pass just as he has said. We can trust his word. Now there is some controversy about the subject of the verses in chapter 11 beginning in verse 36 and following. Some disagreement. But the most widely accepted interpretation by the ancient church of this section of scripture is that here is the revelation of the antichrist which is to come on the scene the person who's come on the scene at the end of the world and I take it the same way and always have I've listened to others I reject John Calvin's view of this section of scripture he just gets the end times wrong and so uh, I, I don't see it the way that he does. And there are other great commentators that are faithful to the scripture that have different uh, interpretations of this. But for the last 1,500 years, the church has pretty well held to the understanding that these verses, the rest of chapter 11, deals with the Antichrist. And one of the reasons just for me that I would say this is because uh, throughout these last chapters of Daniel we have uh, a presentation of Antiochus Epiphanes and then somewhere in that chapter we will have coupled with him a presentation of the Antichrist and we get to the 70th week for example of Daniel which is didn't happen in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. So that's one of the reasons. This is not unusual for the Bible to take this man who in history is an illustration or a forerunner of the Antichrist and couple the events of his life with the Antichrist that is to come. It's almost like, well, speaking of evil men, I've got one for you, you know. And so it's that kind of thing. But the other issue is that in chapter 12 of the book of Daniel, it talks about the resurrection of the righteous. And so these events that, that are talked about in verses 36 and following, there's, it's sandwiched in between Antiochus and the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. And so it would lead me to believe that the context would, would point to someone other than Antiochus Epiphanes. And so I take it as this is... Uh, retelling or a foretelling of the rise and fall of the Antichrist. Now, just for you curiosity seekers, you're not going to know everything you want to know. We do not have his passport number. We don't have his cell phone number. We don't even have his Facebook account. You know, we don't know those things. 
People that will say that they know, uh, they're just Fruit Loops, man. Just don't go for it. You know, so I, it hasn't happened with Joe Biden yet, but every time we have a president, somebody comes up with some formula proving that the president, president of the United States is the Antichrist. You, you, have, have you seen those? Spell Ronald Reagan's name backwards three times. You know, whatever. Now, so for you young people, let me just date myself. When I was like a teenager, we had, we, we had vinyls for music, okay? We, we didn't have a playlist. And, and don't get me started, because this was back when you, you did an album, and the whole album was a concept. You didn't pick and choose and put stuff on your playlist. That's an offense to the artist. It's like taking a picture. You know, it's like taking the Mona Lisa and just cutting off her nose and saying, this is all I like of this painting. So, you know, you guys are so disconnected and so you're just fragmented around. I don't get it. But, but nonetheless, I'm endearing myself to the younger generation. So, but back when we had vinyls and our youth pastors were preaching that all rock music is of the devil. And, and so that was just a fact. Y'all remember that? It's just, just a fact. All rock music, I mean... I don't know where they get that stuff. I mean, with titles like Highway to Hell and Running with the Devil, you know, and stuff. I don't know where they get it. But in groups like Black Sabbath, you know, I don't know where they would get this stuff. But, but anyway, so here was the thing. These, these pastors, you know, would, would a lot of them of, of like Baptists, you know, independent Baptists usually. And then, you know, uh, Assembly of God guys would come out with this thing. Like, Listen, if you, um, if you take a vinyl of you know, whatever, Black Sabbath or whatever, and you, and you turn it on your turntable backwards, it has a message from Satan. You know, Satan is king, Satan is king, or something, you know, do it backwards. And so people were doing, and you're listening to that going, well, I don't know, maybe it does. And, um, and so I had a friend says, I'm going to do that in the church nursery this Sunday and see what the kids think. I'm like, don't do that. You know, so anyway, so, you know, people have all kinds, of, my point is people have all kinds of crazy things about Think they have knowledge about the end times. Here's what you have to do. You have to limit yourself to what the Bible says and go no further. God has chosen to reveal to us what he thinks we can handle and what we need to know. Otherwise, people start doing nutty things. And so God is very wise. And so here he does give us a glimpse of this son of perdition, the lawless one that comes on the scene at the end of time. Now, let's get into it. So let's look at his character. That's enough of my silly introduction. My introductions are not very interesting. They're pretty stupid most of the time, but it hopefully uh, makes you want to get to the scripture, really. Now, so let's, let's look at this. Um, I had us back up a little bit in verse 35, talking about the appointed time. But now, uh, look in verse 36 and following. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. And so here we have uh, really a, a telling or revealing of the character of the Antichrist. And 
three characteristics that I picked out of this, and there are others that you could go with, but three that I picked out for us to take a look at. And first of all, you see his arrogance. And verse 36 talks about the fact that he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. Now, a parallel to this is in the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, speaking of the Antichrist, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration and influence of the Holy Spirit of God, says of, of the Antichrist there, he shall exalt himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Well, we know that Antiochus Epiphanes, with all the dumb things he did, he didn't do that. But the Antichrist, at the end of time, is going to go further. And, and Daniel is telling the Jews already, as bad as Antiochus Epiphanes is, there's one coming who's even worse. This is the... Antiochus Epiphanes is kind of like the John the Baptist of, the, of Christ. He's like the John the Baptist of the Antichrist. And so he's, there's one's coming who is even worse. Now note this, that God will use this man, this Antichrist, as punishment on a Christ-rejecting world. Do you see that in verse 36 it says that he shall prosper, that is the Antichrist, he's going to be successful till a certain point of time. Till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. The indignation, what, what is this? This is God's wrath upon an unbelieving world. These people that are Christ rejectors will give their allegiance to one who God will use to bring about his righteous judgment upon them. Isn't that the way sin always is? Sin always promises reward, but it brings sorrow. It always promises something good, and it brings ugly. That's just the way it is, but we are always blinded to that. And so this man who is very charismatic, his charisma, people are attracted to him. They, they want to shake his hand. They want to make eye contact with him. They want his autograph. They want his attention. And he is the very tool that God will unleash upon them. The one that they thought they wanted will be the one who brings judgment upon them. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2, during that time, that God sends them strong delusion. So that they may believe what is false. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, let, let us get something crystal clear right now. God is in charge of faith. And we do not have the privilege of toying around with an opportunity to trust Christ and think that that opportunity is given to us tomorrow. God can send delusion into anyone's life as He wills. We None of us have a right to Christ. None of us have a right to faith in Christ. None of us have earned the opportunity. And God at any moment can say to a whole nation, your time is up. Now I will send delusion upon you so that you will believe what's false. And God will do that to the world. People say, why, why would people... Listen, the nice Trump voting, conservative, gun-toting... Bible-thumping, church-attending, 
southern Ohio Buckeye will be just as deluded as anyone else. You'll think to yourself, why would somebody like that, who seems sensible enough, I mean, apart from the doomsday prepping, he seems sensible enough. He, he, he votes conservative. He votes all the right issues. He, he's, he, you know, he's against gun control. He wants border control. Why would he follow someone like the Antichrist? Guys, politics is not going to save us. It won't save us. When God takes away the influence of the Spirit of God, no one can believe. They won't be able to. You say, well, I'll exercise my free will. Go ahead and you'll, you won't believe Christ. Exercise it. So many people are so deluded about God. They think their free will is king over God's sovereign decree. And it is not. It is not. Your free will is not king over all things. God is the one who is in charge. That's what the book of Daniel is telling us. God is in charge. And if you have a moment in time where you can trust Christ, you better hop on that pony. You better do it because I'm telling you, God can change hearts in a moment so that you cannot believe. His arrogance. He's going to exalt himself and people are going to follow. Look at his atheism. The verse 37 says, he shall not pay attention to any other God. Why? Because he only believes in himself. Here's the frightening thing about this Antichrist. According to the book of Daniel, we believe that he's going to be from the area of Rome. At least somewhere in Europe, but probably Rome. And and no, please don't go there. Please don't do the Pope thing to me. Don't. Don't go around saying Pope is the Antichrist. Just don't do that. Okay, that's just wrong. Just don't. Okay. Some of you think, I'm the Antichrist. That's wrong too. Okay, just don't do that. But, but it's going to be somebody of influence and from, from Europe. And we, we believe somewhere from the ancient Roman Empire. So it's, it's, it's going to be Rome probably, it looks like to me. So that means that probably his background is Christian. He, he probably has some Christianity in his background, whether his parents are truly Christians. At least the cultural Christianity. At least he's been exposed to that. And this is why it's so astounding when it says that he shall pay attention, he shall not pay attention to any other God, nor to the gods of his fathers. And notice this, or to the one beloved by women. Now, what, what does that mean? He's talking about the Messiah. Remember, Daniel's writing to Hebrews here. He's writing to Jews. And every mother in Israel hoped that they could be the mother of the Messiah. It was their hope. Like, man, if I could just be that mom. And so they all, you know, most of the Jews at that time, and the unbelieving Jews, the ones that really hadn't trusted upon Christ yet, they didn't really understand the full implication of this. Like, wait a minute, this is going to be the Son of God. They didn't really get that part. But, but they did believe he was going to be a national. I mean, it's like, I, I want to be the mom of a president, you know, of the United States. I, you know, it was that kind of thing. And so they were hoping to be that. And what the Bible is saying here is that the Antichrist, ha- he, he will know. Of the Messiah, but will reject. Why is that? Because he only worships himself. He will reject the religion of his fathers, even faith in Christ. He will reject it outright. Look at his ambition. This is part of his character. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead. 
This is just a metaphorical way of saying he will worship military might and raw power. His character. Now, next in verses 39 through 43, we look at his conquests, what he does. Verse 39 says this of him. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for price. So this is pointing out his political strategy. And his strategy is simply this. Those who acknowledge him, he's going to load with honor. Well, the, the, the converse will also be true. Those who do not will pay the price. And, you know, we've talked about, uh, and we study the book of the Revelation, and we talk about the mark of the beast, you know, 666. And, you know, is it true that people literally are going to go around with 666 on their forehead? I, I, I don't know. Maybe the tattoo business will pick up. Um, I, I don't think the Bible necessarily means it, it's some literal number on you. It just means there's some kind of controlling mechanism that's in place that's of human origin. And I, I don't know what all that will be, whether it will be, you know, people talk about computer chips put in here or whatever. But there'll be some, you know, we, we know more and more that we're moving as, as a world economy, we're moving away from the, the physical exchange of one thing for another. Now it is um, your resources given to some kind of third party, Apple Pay, Cash App, or whatever it is. And then that third party promising the receiver that that money is available, though you can't see it, and that if you say yes, then you get that amount in your, your app, and then you can take that and use it to go get a cup of coffee. That sounds confusing to you, but, but what I'm really getting at is all that's really happening now is one person giving their word to another. And, and so it, it would not be far-fetched for someone to say, look what it would do to the economy of the world if we all united and used the same app. And, and so we all use the same app, and now who has control of your resources? You may, be, you may have $6 million in the bank, but if the government says to you, you now are excluded from the use of this app, what are you going to do? You see how easy this is? And so this guy is going to have control. And so you follow, you get to do it. Now, now here, I know some of you guys are just, you're, you're way out on the edge on some of this stuff. I know that. And even bringing up possibilities will drive some of you people to caves. Don't go there. Some of you are going to go home and go, we've got to throw our cell phone in the creek. It's just, man, preacher said that the app is of the devil. And uh, we, can't, we can't use Apple Pay because it's of the devil. I did not say that. Some of y'all translate stuff in weird ways. But I'm just throwing out possibility, like how it could be. I'm not saying I'm right about that. I'm just saying it could be, right? It'd be easy enough. So his political strategy is just simply this. I'll reward you if you follow. If you don't, you pay the price. It's, it's pretty easy. And also verses 40 through 42, at the time of the end, and that's another thing that causes me to think this is talking about a different king. Because we're talking about the time of the end here. The king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land. And tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. 
He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt, and the, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. So um, here we have his, uh, the picture of, of his powerful military. And the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind. So here's what we're understanding. In Antiochus' day, the, the days of the Seleucid empires, you know, Syria was that power. Now, not, the, not just the Syria of today. That was a, an expansive empire. It was huge. So that was the power of the day, but it's been defeated. But in relationship to Israel, Europe is still north. And so the, the shift in our minds is to understand that Israel's still the crossroads of, of everything that's going on here. It's still the center point of all of it. And in Antiochus's day, we had the, the empire of the Ptolemies, and so that was Egypt. But Egypt wasn't like it is today. It, it included a lot more than just the Egypt of today. It was larger. But here's what I think. Now, this, this is just, um, you know, this is a little bit of a holy guess. Okay, but it says that the king of the south is going to attack him. Now we know that's south in 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 has been you know Egypt, but this seems to be because you have Libya included and you have the Cushites, which is Ethiopia. This seems to be that there is some kind of confederation now, and the confederation would be Islamic countries. Now, if you want to know why a sane American man who drives a Ford pickup that believes in gun rights and comes to church occasionally and thinks that the Bible is still good even though he doesn't read it but and votes conservative, if you want to know why in the world would he follow somebody from Europe like this, it's simply this. He's going to defeat Islam. He's going to stop terrorism. He's going to, it's going to attack him. And the result of that is that he's going to come like a whirlwind with everything that he's got. And it, when he comes into these countries, it says he shall overflow and pass through. You know what this, you know what's really saying here? The Bible is using language that, that would be like this. He's going to come like a tidal wave and just wipe it out like a tsunami. There will be nothing left. And then he's going to come into the glorious land. Well, where is that? Into Israel. So his military power. Here's, here's what it seems to me that's taking place here. This is, th these battles that are talked about here in these verses that we're looking at. This is probably the midpoint of the Great Tribulation. The middle of the 70th week that Daniel talked about. And these are those battles. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. He's going, to be, he's going to get rich. The treasury, the, the, the plenteous treasury. He talks about that in verse 43. He's just going to get, he's have, he'll have control of the world's resources. Think of all the oil reserves and the resources of the, of the Arab nations right now. He'll have all of it. It'll all be at his disposal. He'll have control of the world economy. He'll have control of the world government. He'll have control of everything. He'll have it all. And people will have given that to him. They will follow him. Remember, he rewards those who follow. And those who don't follow, pay the price. So 
What are you going to do? You're going to make a choice. You're going to follow. Don't think for a moment you're going to be the kind of person to be wise enough. No, you'll, have a, you, you'll be deluded. You, God will send delusion upon you so that you'll believe falsehood. You'll just believe it. Now, if you don't think you're already susceptible to that, some of you guys, you, you'll come in, Pastor, guess what I found out on the internet? No, please don't. I found out that watermelon seeds cure cancer, so I'm eating three a day. You know, I'm like, don't. Just don't do it. Now look at this, though. This is the hopeful part. For God doesn't leave us hanging here. He speaks of, of the Antichrist, of his calamity, verses 44 and 45. Now look, look what the Bible says here. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. He's going to be deceived by the insanity of his rage. He shall go out with great fury to destroy. He's come to the point where, like a lot of leaders do, they're paranoid. And they think everybody's against them. And so anybody that whispers anything in contrast to what he's thinking, he's going to destroy them. There'll be, there will be no opposition. His goal is no opposition to him whatsoever in any way. And so he will go out in his rage with great fury to destroy. And the Bible says it will be carnage. He will devote many to destruction. And then verse 45 is the hopeful verse. And here it says that he's going to pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. And that is between the Mediterranean uh, Sea and Jerusalem. And he's going to establish himself there. He's probably going to use the temple as his military headquarters. And he's going to believe that he has accomplished world peace, actually. And this world peace is going to be built upon an absence of religion because as the common tongue speaks in our world today, religion is the cause of all world conflict. That's what they say out there. Do you know how historically inaccurate that is? That, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. It's not. Now, if we could say, you know, greed for land or, you know, something else, you know, I would go along with you. It really isn't. It's really not the cause. People have sometimes used religion in a twisted way to justify their greed or, you know, whatever else that they've got going on. They've sometimes used it, but it's not the cause. It's not the cause. But he will have convinced the world that that's the cause, so we'll eliminate that. That's what communism tried to do. And so we'll eliminate that. As Karl Marx called religion the opium of the people. It dulls your mind and causes you to, be, to walk around in a drunken haze. And so they'll preach that same kind of thing. And he'll eliminate all that thing. I'm, I'm going to bring about world peace in this way. And anybody that's contrary to his agenda, they'll be annihilated. They'll be seen as some kind of social, social scourge, a cancer of the community. And so people will applaud it. Yeah, get rid of them. They're bringing hate to us not peace we want love around the world and that will be their cry and all religions they're the same so we don't need any anyway 
And that Baptist preacher, he's divisive, so let's get rid of him too. I love it, brother. I love it. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But he's going to lose. Do you know where his tents are? The valley of Megiddo. This is Armageddon. And he doesn't have enough sense to know it. And he thinks the other military units that are marching are coming to aid him and to help him. And he doesn't know their intent is to come to destroy him. But in a turn of events, God does unite them. Because during this time, they shall make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. The Bible says why? Why will Jesus win? Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with him are called. And they are chosen. And they are faithful, the scripture says. All of the resources, all the ingenuity, all the technology of man cannot stand up against the sword that protrudes from the mouth of the Son of God. When He speaks, they will be annihilated. I've often wondered this. According to the Bible, this is really strange to me. But according to the Bible, if we understand, if, if the Bible is speaking literally, somehow those of us who have died in Christ and been raised at the rapture, that's a real thing, by the way. Somehow we'll come back with him at this moment. But we don't do anything. We come back and we watch and he just goes, boo, and they're done. I've kind of wondered, well, what do you want us to do, Lord? And I think the answer is this. Marvel at our Savior. That's what verse 45 is about. What would I conclude or what could we all conclude from this section of the scripture? What does it show us again and again and again the same message? And it is this. God orchestrates world events. Even the events in your life. And all of these things are according to the counsel of his will. It does not exonerate us from sinful choices. When we make sinful choices, we can expect that God will respond to that in our lives. So it does not give us permission to sin. But our sin does not hinder the decree of the will of God. He will accomplish... See, even the Antichrist, who is nothing but sin, he is so sinful, he's called the man of lawlessness, but he is a, he's just a pawn in the hand of God. So in your own life and in my life, we have to recognize this, that God orchestrates events. And we may not know why. We may not know how. We may not have all of our questions answered. But we do know this, God has brought us to this place. In the case of the end of the world, he even causes the Antichrist to rise to power 
Why? In order to bring about judgment on an evil world. It is how God does. He uses sin to bring about punishment on sinfulness. What else do we know from this? God is trustworthy. That's what we know. What he says in his word, he has done it and he will do it. What else do we know? We know that God purifies his people through trials. He purified Israel in a couple of ways. One, by cleansing the pretenders from among them. You've been studying about the children of Israel, their, their life and journey and all the events of it. What do you think that wilderness thing is about? It's cleansing. Who's left out of all of Israel true believers? Three people. Well, four. Four. We got Aaron. We'll count him. Aaron was one of those guys that you'd just be like, really, you're a priest? I mean, out of all that whole gang, you had Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb, the elect. The rest of them perished. They had a knowledge of God, but they didn't believe. God does that with trials today, with his church. We have people that have knowledge of God. They may have said things with their mouth that is, as far as they understood, that was their belief about Christ. But it really wasn't that their heart was regenerate. They gave up themselves to Jesus and surrendered all to him. And they are holding on to the cross as the only means whatsoever to be right with God. They have never really gotten to that place. Why? Because when you get to that place, then your life has changed. When the Holy Spirit of God begins a process in you of salvation, guess what happens? He who began a good work in you will bring it to the point of completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will not fail. That's why salvation is not merely a human choice like you're trying to figure out who you're going to vote for for Senate. It's not that. It's God choosing who he wants in his family. It's a different, different matter altogether. But God is trustworthy. He's going to do. He purifies his people through trial. So sometimes he purifies from among us those who are not really of us. But also in the individual Christian's life, he cleanses our hearts. And he sanctifies our hearts as his true people. He causes us to get the pollution out of our hearts through trials. Do you ever notice how you go through something difficult and you read a section of scripture a hundred times in your life. But this time you read it and you're like, whoa. Why is that? Because now your heart is alert to what God wants to tell you. So God does that. And he's trustworthy to do it. So finally, I would say this. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can count on God to do what he says. He, he will do what he has said. And here's what he said. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You can count on God to do that. We say, well, what kind of God would do that to his creation? What kind of creation would do what we've done to their God? That's the question. That's the question. What we have to do is to say to God today, he's given us the day. Behold, now is the accepted time. And today is the day of salvation. God has given you breath. He's given you life. It's his mercy 
And so I would say to you, do not turn away from him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and talk to him for just a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing to us things that we could have never known. And Lord, most of what we have studied, we probably have heard a lot of this before, but it's a great reminder to know that you're in control, not only from Daniel's perspective, you showed him how you were in control of the empires that would arise long after he was dead. You're showing us also through him that you're in charge of the empire that will arise and fall before the coming of our king. I pray, Father, that you would help us as your followers, one, to have great confidence that you've got the events of our lives, the events of history, these things are in your hands. They're not in ours. They're in your hands. Help us, Lord, in the midst of it to choose to obey you, to take action where you tell us to take action and to follow you. We're not passively sitting around just waiting for Jesus to come, but to realize that you have orchestrated these things and we trust in you. Lord, we thank you that even the trials in life that you bring, that you have brought those for a a grand and glorious purpose that is to cleanse your bride both cleanse out from her those that really don't belong but also to cleanse from our hearts those things that really don't belong and so Lord we praise you and thank you that even in difficulties and problems and trials and heartbreaks and all kinds of things Lord you are doing a good thing Father, I also pray for those who are outside of Christ right now that have never started following. Lord, I I pray for them to be able to take you at your word. You said whoever gives their heart and life completely over to Jesus in faith will never perish but have eternal life. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Just plain and simple. And Lord, I pray that you would help those who have not yet trusted you to understand that and know it. But Lord, that the Spirit of God would take hold of their heart and cause it to be reality in their heart. Father, I pray for your people. I pray, God, that those things in our lives that are disappointing to you and disobedient to you, things that are disgusting to you, even Lord, that you would work in our hearts through the trials and through your word. And the Holy Spirit generating in us a deeper desire to obey you and to love you as we ought. And Father, we would less and less hold on to the idols of this world. And would more and more grab on to the hand of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd work these things in our lives. Not just by one sermon. But Lord, let this one be something that continues that ongoing process that you've initiated in lives and hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.